Good morning, and welcome to episode 615 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus, presented by the Play Index at BaseballReference.com. I am Ben Lindbergh of Grantland, joined by Sam Miller of Baseball Prospectus. Hello, Sam. Howdy. How are you? Good. And our team preview podcast series continues. President's Day cannot stop us. We have come to the Atlanta Braves on our trip through the 30 teams by reverse order of Pakota projected standings. We started last week. This is our sixth team. Later in this episode, BP's Sahadev Sharma will speak to Mark Bowman, the Braves beat writer uh, for MLB.com. But right now we are talking to Alex Remington, who is a product manager at the Washington Post. You might know him from the Hardball Times and Braves Journal, where he writes. He also wrote the Braves essay for the BP annual. Hey, Alex. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. We are happy to have you. So I've been looking forward to talking about this team because this is one of the teams that I most need explained to me, I think. Um, (laughs) And maybe you feel the same way. I don't know. But this team in the last year or so has maybe taken the the most roller coaster like trajectory or indirect route to where it is. It seemed like they were in a completely different place a year ago, or maybe we don't even have to go back a year ago. We could go back, I don't know, eight months or so. So tell us how we got here, because your essay was kind of about that, about how Frank Wren went from this team that won the most games in the major leagues from 2012 to 2013 to getting fired. And you had a few hypotheses that you raised and dismissed, and then you kind of came to a conclusion. So tell us what you concluded about how things went wrong. <laughs> well, I think the the first thing that has to be said is that there's a strong element of Murphy's Law at work. The, uh, the 2014 Braves probably performed uh, about as badly as they could have, given their talent level. You know, the Aaron Harang could have been worse. Um, Irvin Santana could have been worse. They could have won 70 games instead of 79. But for the most part, uh, basically everything that went right in 2013 went wrong in 2014. And Frank Wren largely, in my view, got fired um, because the ball broke the wrong way. Um, That's obviously not the entire story. The farm system was largely bare. And while he had drafted players like Alex Wood, who is a very good, who was taken with a high pick and has turned into a very good pitcher, as well as players like Evan Gaddis, who was taken with a 26th round pick and has turned into, whether or not you agree that he's a very good player, he certainly is a major league starter, uh, which is a, a very good return for a 26th rounder. The trouble is, uh, beyond some of those success stories, and we still don't know what will happen with Tommy LaStella, who was traded over the offseason, along with virtually anyone who could swing a bat in Atlanta. He left the farm system largely bare, which meant that once things started going wrong, uh, there really wasn't much to be done on the fly. Uh, so mid-season, all he did at the break was attempt to patch uh, one of the worst office offenses in baseball with 
Emilio Bonifacio. <laughs> and um, Bonifacio was having a nice year in Chicago, but um, I think anyone who follows baseball closely enough to listen to a daily podcast is aware of Emilio Bonifacio's uh, limitations. So what Wren left the team's overlords, John Schurholtz uh, and the Brain Trust, including Bobby Cox and John Hart and John Coppolella, uh, he left them with a relatively bare cupboard on the farm, an interesting core of under 25 talent, much of which had been locked up long term, including Craig Kimbrell, Andrelton Simmons, and Freddie Freeman, and an uncertain future. If if everything had stayed in place for 2015, I think the team would have been a very decent bet to get some number of wins in the 80s. They probably would have finished 500. They might have contended for another wild card spot. However, at the end of the 2015 season, Jason Hayward would have been eligible for free agency. Justin Upton's contract would have expired. And they would have been up against a wall with far fewer organizational resources under contract and still a bear farm system. There was clearly a decision made to act now. I think it was an overreaction, but that's the best I can do to explain it. So do you, uh, obviously this would be purely speculative, but um, do you think it's unlikely that the Braves would have had the offseason that they had, the uh, recognition uh, of their sort of very limited mid-range outlook um, and the maybe necessity of rebuilding uh, as they did, um, would would that have not happened if Frank Wren had been around and is um, is firing him as much as anything, simply recognizing that uh, it's maybe sometimes harder for a GM to sell his own children or whatever. It should always be hard to sell children, whether they're yours or <laughs> someone else's. So more appropriate metaphor uh, than selling someone else's. <laughs> sure. I, I think Frank Wren, and we got to watch him for seven years in Atlanta, so it's it's possible to characterize some of his strengths and weaknesses over that period. And generally speaking, I would say, not just about his own children, Frank Wren was incredibly good at the small to medium-sized deal. And uh, spectacularly bad at the ba at the big deal. And you'll have to bear with me. I know that those are some sort of subjective judgments. But what I mean by that is um, he made some very good trades, such as bringing in Javier Vasquez by trading uh, Tyler Flowers and Gorkas Hernandez. Or the, the very first trade uh, that he made during his uh, tenure as Braves GM, uh, many people said that John Schuerholtz had all but sealed it for him, but sending Edgar Renteria to the Detroit Tigers for Jair Jurgens and Gorkas Hernandez. Uh, Jurgens produced several great years in Atlanta. They cleared Renteria's salary off the books and then got Hernandez back as a piece that they were later able to use uh, in a later trade. Um, he was very good at that type of deal. Uh, one of my favorite trades he ever made was when he brought in um, Will Oman and Omar Infante by trading a minor league pitching prospect who I believe never made the majors. It, that, that was the sort of deal that he was trying to replicate at the deadline this year when he got Emilio Bonifacio and James Russell for Victor Caratini, uh, a minor league catcher. 
that was the kind of thing he could do well. He was very shaky when he attempted to make a big move, like signing B.J. Upton, like signing Derek Lowe, like extending Dan Ugla. Anything that might have a, a large effect on a team's projected success, that appeared to be where he came up short most frequently. And so he was gone this this year, and so they they went with this kind of tandem of John Hart and Coppola. And does that does that give you pause at all? The fact that there wasn't someone designated as the one GM, or do you feel that this sort of power sharing, perhaps grooming, perhaps mentoring arrangement makes sense? What gives me pause is that there wasn't a search. Uh-huh. Um, if Frank Wren's performance was so unacceptable, then it seems to me that the team ought to have uh, said, well, we want to find the best candidate anywhere and conducted an open process to determine that. It, it seems hard for me to accept that the single best candidate, or in this case, the single two best candidates, were both already in an organization that had a year so bad that they had to fire the GM. And so you mentioned that maybe one of Wren's failings was making the big moves. And so post-Wren, the Braves have already made a few big moves. So what did you think of the actual returns that they got once they decided to make those big trades and get rid of Hayward and get rid of Upton? Did you feel that they got good value for those guys? Uh, yes, as far as it goes. The most interesting thing, when you look at all of the trades that they made this postseason, getting rid of Hayward and Upton and Evan Gaddis and even Tommy Lastella, as we mentioned, they sold high on hitting and bought low on pitching, is what it looks like. So not only that, they brought in a lot of post-Tommy John surgery pitchers, including Max Freed from San Diego in the Upton deal, including Arodas Viscaino, whom they had previously uh, held um, from Chicago in the Listella deal, um, and others. They appear, and this is only speculation, but it, it seems fairly reasonable to suggest, they appear to believe that pitching is worth stocking up on now even though, paradoxically, uh, pitching seemingly has never been more available and hitting has seemingly never been more scarce. So they've taken the few hitters that they did have and attempted to get more pitching. It could be because, historically, Atlanta's been good at developing pitching. It could be because they believe that the balance of power and scarcity will turn back toward pitching, which historically is where it has been for a long time until this recent offensive drought. But that clearly appeared to be the strategy of the offseason, and only time will tell whether that actually was the right one. So you ended your essay with, um, with, with what I'm about to read, and which by the standards of baseball perspectives might be the hottest take ever, ever taken, <laughs> uh, or at least in the last, uh, in, the, in the post-Lindbergh era of <laughs> tepidity. Uh, you wrote, yes, Cox and Scherholz are Hall of Famers among the greatest baseball men ever to grace the game. But now may be the time for them to gracefully bow out. 
Did it take much sort of stealing of yourself before you could type and file those words, uh, knowing <laughs> what legends they are in the game? Uh, you know, I'll, I'll confess, that was actually a sentence that, um, during the editing process, when I had originally filed my first draft of the piece, it was a much milder critique of the organization. And uh, Jason uh, Wojciechowski, is that how you pronounce his name? Uh, Wojciechowski. Um, Wojciechowski, excuse me. The king of um, hot takes. Told me... <laughs> You know, I think that what you're really trying to say is much stronger. This is an implicit critique of the people who run the organization. And I realized, you know, you're exactly right. And the more I thought about it, the more I realized that I do believe that the people who have run the Braves organization for the past um, 30 years probably have come to a point where it's time for new blood. The... Um, Bobby Cox was the general manager before Schuerholtz, then he became the manager, then Schuerholtz became the team president, and Bobby Cox became sort of just one of the grand poobahs. And uh, the game has changed around them, and I think that they're old men. I don't think that the capacity of a baseball man is limitless. Even Branch Rickey couldn't bring Pittsburgh to contention. Uh, so I, I think anyone needs to go at some point. I think now is the time for these guys. So when we talked uh, to Michael Bowman uh, a few days ago uh, about the Phillies, the Phillies were uh, the first in the series because they're in such a bad state that they project to be the worst team in baseball this year. And it's sort of clear to everybody, you know, where the Phillies went wrong. Uh, it's a combination of, uh, you know, bad contracts and uh, uh, overinvestment, or at least heavy investment in um, uh, in in the present at the expense of the future. And they sacrificed, uh, as as Michael documented, uh, something like thirty minor leaguers and um, like eight or nine draft picks in the pursuit of the championship that they did ultimately win. So it's clear, you know, that that there's no mystery why the Phillies are where they are. Um, I'm, I'm wondering though, if you can name a Braves move that was, uh, at least in your recollection, your honest recollection that was obviously bad on its face at the time. And I, I guess I will, I will even include the moves they made this offseason If one of those strikes you as, uh, obviously bad, uh, at the time it was made. The, the Dan Ugla extension was obviously bad at the time. The trade for Ugla uh, trading, um, uh, excuse me, trading Omar Infante and Mike Dunn for Dan Ugla, one year of Dan Ugla was, you know, a perfectly fine move. And actually that one year, he had a very good year for the Braves, um, and set a personal home run record. Uh, he was kind of bad in the first season, caught fire in the second season. Anyway, it may well be that in order to get Ugla to approve the, the deal, um, they had to agree beforehand to give an extension, which was obviously you didn't want to give this guy a five-year extension. But uh, they did in the moment that it was signed. I, I don't know that Braves fans felt exactly the way Phillies fans did when the Howard extension was signed, but it was literally impossible to justify uh, on its face. And it as much as anything, crippled the team for years to come. So the one issue that people seem to have with their offseason, or at least the major one, is that 
there are all these future-oriented moves, these moves that maybe are looking ahead a few years down the road. And then there's the Nick Markakis signing, which doesn't <laughs> seem to fit into the same bucket. So do you think that there is a way to square the Markakis signing with the other moves that they've made? Or at least does it not you know, detract from, from whatever they're trying to do with those other moves? Yeah, the um, the, the Markakis signing is not... It's not incredibly easy to justify. The, um, the best I can do is this, so forgive me because I'm, I'm going to admit straight off, even I don't totally believe what I'm about to say. <laughs> Nick Markakis is, um, in the best, of, of the best case scenario, uh, he's a durable, roughly more or less almost kind of slightly league average player. And... Um, uh, Roughly, almost kind of slightly league average players in this offense, uh, uh, offensive context are kind of hard to find. We already knew that the Braves didn't really have anyone in the system who was major league ready, so they needed to look outside. And this is in a an off season where, um, well, we saw what um, what Pablo Sandoval went for. So getting anyone in was not going to be easy. Now, I probably would have preferred, I certainly would have preferred that they would get Nori Aoki, who's, if he's a worse player, he's not much worse. You're uh, they're, preaching to the choir here. <laughs> they're, they're, you know, Aoki is like a year older. But anyway, um, so it's possible that there was a better option than Marcakis who fit all of that. But in a vacuum, Marcakis was a not incredibly expensive way of filling the void caused by the bear farm system within an offensive context in which it was incredibly hard to obtain anyone who could swing a stick at all. So that's the best I can do, guys. I'm sorry. Not bad. Not bad. Um, and how much better would you say the system is today than it was in October? Do you feel much more optimistic about the Braves' minor league strength right now? Oh, sure. I, I mean, it's... Um, obviously, I, I noticed this because it was favorable. Keith Law, something like, upgraded them from the 26th uh, system in baseball to the 6th best system in baseball, so they jumped something like 20 spots. Now, again, they over-indexed hard on pitchers coming back from arm problems including Shelby Miller, who's obviously already in the major leagues and came over in the Hayward deal, including Mike Fultinowitz from the Astros, who's maybe the best minor league pitcher in the system now, depending on how well Max Fried comes back from his Tommy John. Um, so, you know, that's a, that is a high beta risky strategy. And it could be that they all come up snake eyes. Um, and at that point it'll be very easy to say, well, this Braves rebuild basically went like, you know, any of the first half dozen Pirates rebuilds, where you sold your entire major league system for a farm system that just came up nothing. So on its face, each deal, other than the Marcakis free agent signing, seemed plausible, but there's so much risk involved that the expected value has a really high variance for me. And do you think there's something to the idea that they are building this team with 
the new ballpark opening in 2017 in mind? And if so, do you think that they have timed it correctly, that, that this roster will blossom just as they move into that park? Well, uh, I certainly hope so. They've all but said that, and it's um, it has not been a very fan-friendly offseason, to say the least. They've been trying to keep a straight face while saying that they haven't given up on contention in 2015, which, with apologies to, to Michael, sounds like a very Ruben Amaro kind of thing to say. <laughs> um, I, you know, the, the guys that they brought in in the offseason, in two years we'll know who they are, and either they'll be able to contribute or they'll have a high enough value that they'll be able to bring in uh, players from outside who are able to contribute. 2017 certainly seems reasonable from the perspective of a team that's already won 80 games and has a decent major league core. But, you know, who knows? Are there 10 wins in the current farm system? The only way to see is just to see how many of them blow out their arms forever. Mm-hmm. So Craig Kimbrell's Pagoda projection this year uh, is a... Scrolling down just to get the sure majesty of it. All right, Craig Kimbrell's Pocota projection this year is a 1.33 ERA. His Pocota projection, which is famously conservative. Uh, his 90th percentile projection, though, which is really what is beautiful, is a 0.38 ERA. They think that there, we think there is a 1 in 10 chance he has a 0.38 ERA. Um, and if, if I'm not mistaken, I was doing the math in my head as, as you were answering the last question. I believe that he ended the season, last season, younger than Mariano Rivera was when Rivera got his first save. So uh, I guess this would be two questions. One is, uh, how insane is uh, is the 90th percentile projection? <laughs> uh, and two, uh, do we soon start having the conversation, or is it sacrilege to even start thinking about comparing Kimbrel to Rivera on like a historic level? I don't think it's sacrilege. I just think, I mean, you know, I'm uh, I, I'm risk averse in the best of circumstances, which uh, I'm currently on a ski trip in Utah, and it, it turns out that being risk averse on the slopes is not always your best strategy. But I believe that generally speaking, relievers break. All relievers break. Mariano is the only reliever ever who didn't break. And that's one of the many things that are miraculous about him. Well, him and Hoyt Wilhelm. But as a, as a team in the situation that the Braves are, I think the last thing they should have done was extend their closer. I think they should have traded him and been incredibly happy about the three and a half great years they gave him. Until Kimbrell does this for another half dozen years, I don't think it's possible to know whether he'll rival the careers of Billy Wagner or Trevor Hoffman or Lee Smith or John Franco, let alone uh, Mo. But, you know, he's an amazing pitcher. He's just, he's a luxury for a team in the position that the Braves are in. And he's a luxury that while I'm incredibly grateful to get to watch him, there's a large part of me that feels that he's not the best use of organizational resources. Speaking of players who aren't the best use of organizational resources, BJ Upton has three years left on his contract, around $46 million still owed to him. How many plate appearances do you envision him getting for the Braves between now and, and the end of that contract or the end of time? 
<laughs> That's an interesting question. Uh, this offseason is really the first time when it has seemed clear out of the Braves, um, or at least what se- strikes me as seeming clear out of the, the Braves' official mouthpieces. Mark Bowman could tell you a lot more about this. It sounds like they're seriously considering just platooning him from here on out. Um, it sounds like he no longer has a guaranteed starting spot. Um, and it sounds like he kind of gets it. Um, you know, the, the cold comfort I think that I can take from his deal probably isn't enough for Ren, but it's good enough for me is it took one of the historically worst performances in baseball history for his contract to turn into a pumpkin. I mean, none of us could have seen this coming. Mm-hmm. It'll be interesting to see whether if uh, any of the suggestions that are being floated about shrinking the strike zone, particularly at the bottom of the strike zone, potentially help him. Mm-hmm. It's not clear to me why he fell off a cliff, but I I maintain no rational expectation that he will ever again be a useful major league player. And I think that the Braves are starting to agree. And one more guy, Andrelton Simmons, was one of the most fascinating players heading into last season, I thought, just because of his 2013, he he hit fairly well, but it was hard to see where his, his bat would go from there because he had just this weird line where he had a low batting average and not many strikeouts and also 17 home runs. It was just a mishmash of things that don't often go together. And so I was interested to see what would happen. Would his average climb? Would his power decrease? And as it happened, his average did not climb and his power did decrease and it was just worse across the board. So where do you see him going from here? Is he always going to be a guy whose value is entirely tied up in his glove or will he have seasons as he heads into what might be his physical prime where he hits enough to to be a legitimate MVP candidate. I was very bullish on Simmons going into 14 um, because coming off of 2012 and 2013, what I saw was a guy who hits a lot of line drives, has better than average power for a shortstop and doesn't strike out. Um, And I still think that all of that is true. Um, Obviously, because he doesn't take a walk um, and because he is very good at making contact, but frankly, far too much of the contact that he makes is bad contact, he'll probably have low batting averages. Um, And he'll need high BABIPs to basically make up for that. Uh, I think he can. I think that Part of his problem in 2014 appears to have been that he had uh, shoulder trouble, but his glove was too good to take him out of the lineup. Um, I probably compare him to Andrew Jones far too much just because they're Curacao and they're they're the two best defensive players I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that there is that in common between the two of them. Their glove is... Their gloves are so transcendent that the Braves really can't rest them. Uh, And, I mean, uh, Jones basically played more than 160 games for like 10 years in a row. And I've always believed that that's part of why he fell off so rapidly after that. I, I would worry that Simmons will have his bat harmed by nagging injuries that come up 
during the course of the year when he will be unable to rest. Okay, before we finish, we compel all of our guests to tell us how many games their team will win. So let us know what you think. How many games will this team win, and where will it finish in the NL East? Uh, 72 fourth place. Wow. Most guests have to think about it. You, you had that all queued up. <laughs> I, I mean, I can, I can explain it, but it, honestly, I think they're a, I think they're a terrible offense with pretty good pitching. If the pitching collapses, then they could win in the 60s. Um, but the East is such a weak division. Uh, I don't. Obviously, I, I think that no one expects much from the Phillies. I don't believe in the Mets. Um, I certainly don't believe in their offense. And so I think that there will be some opportunities for the Braves, bad as they are, to have an opportunity to pick up some cheap wins. But they're not going anywhere. And uh, they're not realistically going to contend for anything until at least 2017. So I don't have to think too hard about how bad they'll suck. Pakoda is thinking along the same lines, 75 wins and fourth place. So not too different. And only here's hoping they get an extra three wins then. <laughs> only 585 runs, which is like Seattle bad. <laughs> like like old, not, not current Seattle, but you know, old Seattle bad. Right, without Safeco. Yeah. There were actually Braves fans on Braves Journal hoping that we would sign Ichiro, which just tells you everything you need to know about the Braves offense. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for interrupting your trip to talk to us about a team that you believe will be terrible uh, <laughs> you can f- follow follow alex on twitter at alex remington read him at the hardball times and braves journal thanks again hey, alex wait, 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 oh, wait, wait, uh, wait. real quick real quick uh-huh. uh i i just noticed this but also projected to be the worst defense by pakoda's estimation and that's huh. with simmons does that does that scan with you at all um sure i i think it's honestly going to be really hard to project the defense of the Braves, just because at other than uh, shortstop, which is Simmons, and first base, which is Freeman, um, it's hard to imagine that any other position will be filled in any other way than a platoon. Well, excuse me, Markakis in right field. But left field, center field, third base, second base, and catcher are all probably going to be platoons, or one player will be a trial balloon and then someone else in aggregate, all of those positions will probably be bad defensively, but it's it's honestly just hard to know who will actually get the reps. I will say that I'm one of the many Braves fans who believes that Freeman gets a slightly bad rap in defensive metrics. He has bad range, but he is very good at scoops. Um, and I, I recognize that those are uh, picked up. I tend to think that they're slightly undercounted. But, yeah, yeah, there's, there's no position players on the roster, so it doesn't make it hard for me to accept that they'll be bad defensively. That'd be pretty impressive if you could have the best defensive player in baseball and also, at the same time, somehow have the worst defense in baseball. That would be Catch quite the an excitement. <laughs> 2015 Braves. All right. Thanks, Alex. Thanks, guys. 
Stay tuned for Sahadev speaking to Mark Bowman. Welcome to the second half of the Effectively Wild podcast. I'm Sahadev Sharma, Associate Editor for Baseball Prospectus. Uh, we'll continue our team previews today. And with me is Mark Bowman, Atlanta Braves beat writer for MLB.com. And obviously we are previewing the Braves for the first time in a while, predicted to be uh, among uh, some of the lesser teams in baseball. I guess this would make them a uh, fifth worst team in baseball, according to Pakoda. Uh, this is a rare situation for the Braves. And uh, even heading into the season, they have a new GM. Uh, you know, Mark, I got to say the whole situation kind of confused me because, uh, you know, I didn't read every article and I wasn't as plugged in as you were as to what was going on. But it seemed like John Hart didn't want the job at one point, it, you know, just kind of wanted to be, you know, kind of on the fringes. But now he's the guy in charge, it seems like. Is this really a temporary setup with Capilella waiting in the wings? Is there any real clarity as to what the future holds as far as the top of the front office? Yeah, there was some some hesitancy on Hart's part. You know, he's been uh, lived a, a semi-retired life here for a while. He liked his work with MLB Network. Uh, but once he jumped in there and had a few weeks in October of you know putting, you know doing some planning here and there, working with John Coppolella, who was a, a significant reason why he took the job. He, he said that at the time, and when he when he went ahead and said, you know, he jumped in full time, he said that, uh, you know, coffee was a big reason. And, and I think those who have gotten to know, uh, John Coppola, uh, will understand, uh, maybe even over the years, you know, AJ Preller has gotten a lot of, you know, everyone's talking about what he's done, how busy he's been. He, you know, the coffee has been every bit as busy. Maybe his moves had not, he has not made as many significant moves, but you look at it, it it's been nonstop here. Um, going back to, uh, the Hayward trade being the, the first big one and, and going out and signing Marcakis. And then you come, you know, you, you know about the other trades just enough and having Gaddis. But, but what, what copy has impressed me, um, is his persistence in, in where, uh, the Jose Barris the Eric Young Jr. Hey, look, maybe these guys are gambles, but, but he, he just has never stopped, uh, just trying to piece together. With the hope that that maybe you know that this team will exceed expectations. Maybe maybe it, maybe 85 wins is is satisfactory this year. Maybe that that's viewed as success. So I think there will be a lot of people that view that as a success uh, successful year. But in other words, they're not just punting this season away. That um, they're willing to bring you know I think we're basically 68 players to camp right now. Um, I think Copy has done. To, enough that you know with this job with Hart you know being the the guiding force the guy that copies says well let's do this that you know when, when he's going to make a decision you know he runs certainly runs them by John Hart but uh, I think Copy has in a sense served as the GM and uh, Hart being more uh, the uh, you know exactly what his title is president of baseball ops and. Uh, Coffee's done the, the legwork. He's gone to the Dominican Republic a few times, looked at players, 
Uh, he's been tireless, and I, and I do think eventually uh, they will give him the GM title. I, I, you know, I really think he's deserved it probably before the start of the season. I have not heard that they're definitely going to do that, but uh, he's done enough to, uh, to at least give them reason to give him that title. So it sounds like uh, Hart and uh, Capolello are really working hand-in-hand hand here. Uh, you know, one thing that kind of surprised me was Ren actually being let go. I thought the guy that was going to go, if someone was going to you know, take the fall, was going to be Freddy Gonzalez. Is he still on the hot seat? Is is it going to be, and if that's the case, is it Hart and uh, Capolello again working hand-in-hand hand here, tandem, to uh, not only decide his fate, but decide who replaces him if it comes to that? Well, no, no doubt. I mean, those guys would, would be the and John Schultz has, has really uh, gotten back in the mix. Um, you know, over the last year, he's really become much more involved. And uh, look, you, you talk to all these guys; they all love Freddie. They, 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 they would like for him to be the manager uh, for a long time. But you have to take a step back and look at what how this team performed last year. And I'm not necessarily just talking about wins and losses. Um, just that this, they've had a couple of September collapses over the last few years. They've had, uh, last year's team was dead. I mean, it, it was, this will be my 15th season covering the team. So of the previous 14 teams I've covered, it was the, the team that, you know, it just, it wasn't a lot of fun to watch them play. And it, it just, it, there wasn't a lot of life in the clubhouse. They lost some, some leaders, uh, some, uh, with Tim Hudson and, well, you have one big loss last year that, that kind of took some of the life out of the clubhouse with Chris Mellon, a guy who it kind of brought everyone together. It was a, at least a, somewhat of a fun environment. You saw last year's youth. You, you know, leadership, you know, look, when, when you talk about good clubhouses, usually those are winning clubhouses, and nobody likes to lose. But at the end of the day, I saw this team lose in 2007, 2008, and there was still more energy around there. That, that, so what the, the lack of energy, I think you have to kind of step back and say, you know, what kind of atmosphere is the manager creating? But at the same time, the Braves, Braves took a look at it and, and kind of put the uh, – realized that, you know, the, the team that, that Ren formed was not exactly the best. He hadn't made the, the best decisions over the last few years. They've had some guys like Tim Hudson and, and Martin Prado, good, you know, just a, those good team players, those guys that kind of helped uh, – create some chemistry on the club. And then obviously, you know, about the bad contracts that they, you know, BJ ups and then, you know, Dan, uh, those obviously didn't help him at all. And, and at the end of the day, he, what it really came down to, I think, uh, two to three weeks after that, they won 96 games and, and won a division and they ended up getting beat by the Dodgers. I, I started talking to people and I thought, you know what? I'm not finding happy players. I'm not finding happy coaches. I'm not finding happy scouts. I mean, in other words, the morale was down throughout the organization. I think that's why there was, there was a change there. And I think that's also why they're saying, Hey, look, we're going to give Freddie another chance, uh, with, with, uh, uh, a different management staff and maybe a slightly different, you know, or but not, not, not a slightly different roster, a significantly altered roster. Um, so, uh, yes, they do like him, uh, but at the same time, you, you do have to, take a step back and, and, and wonder how did this team collapse in 2011? Maybe, you know, they did lose their entire pitching staff, but, uh, or not their entire pitching staff, but a significant part of their story rotation. Uh, even 2013, they could have gotten, uh, instead of facing the daughters in the first round, you know, with a, a decent September, they could, they could have faced the Pirates. Um, you know, it, it was, and then of course last year, they just, 
it, it seemed like they just threw in the towel. And uh, once things went south, it, it really got ugly in September. So you have to look at those things. And if the team comes out and plays hard this year, even if it's a 78 to, you know, 80 win team, uh, some, somewhere in that area, you know, have a losing season, uh, there's still a chance they bring him back if they, if they like the attitude of the club. You mentioned earlier that, you know, they're not looking at this as like a complete rebuild type situation. They they want to try and make a run again uh, as soon as this season. Uh, one move, I, I think the moves as a whole, uh, they made a lot of sense. If, if you look at what they're doing, you know, go, youth movement, so to say, a guy like Johnny Gomes bringing in as that leader uh, for the for the kids. Uh, but one move that I think scratches some people's head. Uh, it confuses some people is Nick Markakis, especially uh, having uh, you know neck surgery right after uh, being signed. Is it, what's his status as far as the injury goes, and and how how do you explain that move, and how do the Braves explain that? Well, you know, I'll just kind of say, I asked you know last week all indications are that you know, he'll have some limitations early in camp, but but they're hoping that that. Uh, you know, he will be ready by opening day. As you've heard many times, you know, hitters don't need seven weeks for spring training or six weeks, however you want to look at it. You know, he would all, if he can, you know, kind of be full go for the last two or three weeks, he would get, you know, his at-bats and, and everything he would need. Um, so the, the expectation is he, he will be ready uh, for opening day. You know, why did they sign him? They took some chances on some guys. Yeah, you know, that is one thing you did see throughout this this offseason, that's one thing I, I said to one of their guys. I said, you know, if you take hard copy to the horse track, I don't think they're betting on a horse that's less than 25 to 1. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, they, they, they took some chances. And, and with Marcakis, um, you know, I, I think they saw him as a guy that they, they like, you know, the, what he brings to the clubhouse. And they were really gambling big time on him getting back to being that guy that he was 2006 to 2012. Um, he, you know, a, a guy who is going to hit you 15 to 20 homers, have a decent on base percentage, uh, maybe fit right there in the number two hole of your lineup. He may be the leadoff hitter until Jose Peraza is ready this year. Uh, or maybe on the days, you know, maybe they'll throw Eric Young Jr. in there occasionally. But, but you know, a guy that, that could, could help, uh, you know, stir some things up the top of the lineup. But, you know, you, you, you take a step back, you look at where, Mark Davis was 2012. You look at 2013, and that was a really bad season. If you look at 2014, the numbers did, you know, start to come back up closer to where they were. Now, look, they're, they're nowhere close to where he was during some of his prime seasons. And here's a guy that, that's now in his 30s coming off neck surgery. It's it's a gamble. Um, but I, I think what they did, they liked was that they liked the guy. Uh, they they liked the potential. And at the end of the day, he was from here. It was a guy that they could lure here. Um, but at the same time, it's $44 million. It's, uh, you know, they've got to hope that they get some value out of this over the next four years. Um, my guess is they definitely will get more value than they did with the $75 million they got gave BJ Upton. So <laughs> there's that. <laughs> yeah, you, you would hope so. Yeah, definitely. Uh, if, you know, let's, let's go negative here. It, if they just go, you know, just come out of the gates and they're awful, that this is a team that come June, July, it's clear that they're not close to competing. They, you know, they have they have some promising youth. There's no doubt about that, especially with the pitching staff, which I'll hit on soon. But but let's say this is a clear bottom of the barrel team. Uh, 
are they close enough? Are they ready to say, yeah, it's time to pull the trigger on some on on a bigger uh, uh, overhaul of the whole of the whole organization? And and are the three guys who earlier I I guess there's been some uh, wavering on Kimbrel, but uh, Kimbrel, Simmons, and Freeman are, are could you see any of that trio being moved in July? You know, the, the one guy I think that, 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 you know, while they continue to say there's no way they're trading Kimball, he's the one you have to yeah. at least look at if you get to that point. I, I don't really think, I think you can, you know, you, you've got Simmons locked up long enough with a, you know, fixed cost here for, uh, like the constant extension. And, you know, you, Freddie Freeman, I, I think you've got to keep him as your cornerstone because the pieces are coming. I mean, this is a team that, that might struggle next year. You might see some of these, these guys that they've assembled uh, or that they've selected down here in the farm just start to creep up in 2016. And obviously the hope is uh, to be really competitive again by 2017. Um, obviously you ask, you continue to talk to Hart and Sherholtz and Coffey. They're there hoping, you know, hoping to surprise everyone this year and, and be that team that uh, sneaks up and gets 85, 88 win. Maybe, maybe, you know, it, that, like I said, that would be certainly a success. Um, but if you get if you get to that point and they struggle, and you do have to take a step back and say, "Hey, look, what can we get for Kimball right now?" You know, because you know you've talked about it many times. What is the value of a closer? Especially, you know, things could get even more interesting if if Mike Fultonevich shows up at camp and and they're going to let give him a chance to win a fifth spot. If you start to get the feeling it through a few months, hey, look, this guy's long term roles as a closer. Uh, uh, you know, maybe maybe you start leaving more comfortable saying, look, we do have a, a guy we can fit in that role uh, for the next few years. And even if you don't, if, if you are if you feel like you're going to maybe even lose again next year, you know, what, what does it hurt to throw Jason Gurley in that role? So, um, and, and just as a, a uh, you know, just, just having someone just hold that spot for a little while um, until you're, you're getting back to that point where you can win on a consistent basis. But yeah, I think you have to at least Think about it. They, they continue to say no to Kimbrell, uh, but, but it's something you have to at least evaluate. Uh- Something I'm always curious about when it comes to the Braves is the fan base. They get they take a lot of heat because sometimes uh, they just you know I guess they don't fill up the ballpark during the playoffs, the early part of the playoffs, because it just became like old habit. That <laughs> is just okay. Yeah. We expect October, so it's no big deal in the early rounds. Uh, but how are they reacting to what's going on? It's got it, it's something that you know we haven't really seen since the early '90s. Uh, a team not expected to compete in Atlanta. Uh, are they excited about how nice the system? They've done a great job with the system. It's probably, you know, some would argue it's a top 10 system in baseball, which, uh, you know, three months ago, it was, wasn't close to a top 10 system. They have a nice, I'm, I'm looking at the rotation and the top of the rotation, it could be really nice for years to come with Teron Miller and Wood at the top. And if Mike Miner b- bounces back, that's that that has a lot of potential. So are, are they? Oh, yeah. Is there any buzz to towards the good things, or is it is it a focus, or is there a lack of interest as far as the Braves go? Well, you know, using Twitter as your uh, your gauge, it's, it's probably <laughs> never a good thing when you're looking for the positive. But uh, um, you know, I, yeah, I do. I think there is a, a, a selection of a fan base uh, that uh, that does understand. Hey, look, there was it was time to. This was the point. Unfortunately, yeah, you you know, some of them say, oh, why don't you keep up to and, and Hayward around another year? Well, when you know that neither of them are coming back and signing back or, or at least 
you're not going to get to a point where you're going to be comfortable offering what some other teams are. You know, it, mainly what I'm, what I'm referencing there is Hayward uh, at the end of this year. Yes, you, you've got to trade those pieces, and you've got to take a step back and say, look, our farm, the farm system is it was very weak. Uh, you know, now they have pieces where they can plug in. Uh, John Sherholtz feels they're they're back to kind of where they were when he arrived there after the ninth season. Uh, you know, I think the one difference is, uh, do I expect them to go on and start their run like they did in 91 immediately? No, but maybe they're even a little closer to where when Bobby Cox came here in 85 to start serving as the general manager. Maybe they're closer to what the 1989 or, or so. Uh, we're, we're, um, you know, at, at that point in time, specifically Glavin and Smoltz were already up, but, but you had a, a good crop of young pitchers that, that were, uh, you know, they're not all, all going to hit. Um, so it's, it's one of those things you, you increase your odds of having two or three, um, you know, make an impact on your club if you have five or six, because, you know, the odds are it's, you're, you're going to miss on some, but, but that's where they are now to where all of a sudden the Jason Hirsch's and, uh, you know, even Tyrell Jenkins, I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing him. A guy, one of the guys that got there in the Cardinals trade, you know, if his shoulder stays healthy, a former first rounder, uh, Manny Blanuelos, if he's healthy, you know, kind of getting back to where, uh, Ricardo Sanchez, the 17 year old with the Angels, you've got all these guys not, aren't even ranked, uh, in our, uh, top 20 rankings, uh, the MLB.com's in the top, uh, 20. Now, uh, or top 10, I'm sorry. All these guys, you know, have the potential to be, you know, prime prospects um, or, or were at least at some point in their career. So the, the pipeline has, has been filled with a, uh, a lot of promise for the future. And uh, I, I think that some of these fans are, are starting to understand that. Uh, I think really more, the most important thing is John Hart, you know, has said, you know, hey, look, I'm really looking forward to seeing how this club plays it. And I am too, because like I said, last year's club was dead. I, I'm looking forward to at least seeing a team that, that might not have Justin Upton and Jason Hayward and Evan Gaddis type, uh, that, that caliber of talent there. Uh, but it, it may be a better mix of guys and, and uh, you know, it, it may be at least a more enjoyable team to watch. Uh, at the end of the day, wins and losses are are all that matter to some clubs, but but I, I do think this is a club that's going to play with a little more energy. Uh, I think A.J. Pruszynski, Johnny Gomes, um, you know, are, are two guys that are going to have an, an impact on that clubhouse. And everyone I talk to in Baltimore says that Nick Marcakis doesn't say a lot, but, you know, the, the teammates love him, the coaches love him, uh, he may be more of a lead by example type of guy, but but it's a good example that he sets. Okay. Uh, sticking in that outfield with Nick Markakis, is there any optimism anywhere that you can find with BJ Upton? Is there is there something there that they can salvage, or is this is this just a situation where I don't even know how much is left on his contract, how many years that you just have to wait? I mean, can can even is there something there? that, you know, you hope that some positive shines, something that he still does well, he does that great for three months, and somehow they can salvage some value for him in July? Or or is this just a, you know, you, you, it's it's over. You, you just take it how it is, and, and until until that contract is up, uh, there's really nothing you can do. 
Well, the easiest thing is to just assume that uh, that he's going to do the way he did the past two years, which is you know obviously underperformed, or you know, maybe that's even uh, maybe that's even the nice way of putting it. But but uh, uh, you know let's let's look at the positive. He's got Kevin Seitzer, and this is not a knock on Greg Walker in any way, shape, or form. It just to click, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Greg Walker was saying to BJ that day, you know, maybe you get a new voice of here. Maybe Seitzer says something to, you know, I, I think the one thing that, that, that you maybe can be optimistic about BJ, if you go back and, and, and see the contract that he signed for 75 million, you know, that puts some expectations on that, that maybe shouldn't have been placed on a guy who really, if you looked at it, I mean, you, you're never probably going to get more than a 240, 250 hitter who might hit 20 plus homers in the 20 plus Basis. If this guy gets back to being a 235, you know, 240 hitter, and it shows a little bit more pop in that bat this year, uh, 15 to 20 homers, gets on base a little more frequently and matches last year's stolen base total, which was, I believe was 21, you know, that, that's a successful season. Eh? Mm-hmm. I guess here, here's the thing. Is he ever going to be an all-star? Again, I, I, probably not. You know, is he ever going to be considered a lead again? No. But to get to that point right there to where he wouldn't be considered a complete disappointment if, if he's hitting, uh, you know, like I said, somewhere in that range with, with a little bit of pop and some speed, uh, I'd like to see, you know, I, we heard so much about his defense. I'd, I'd like to see a little better defense as well. He's certainly young enough that, uh, you know, his legs should still be there and everything. Um, that shouldn't be a problem. But, uh he doesn't have a long way to go to at least satisfy. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I mean, whenever these situations come up, I'm, I, I always come back to Alfonso Soriano since I'm in Chicago, and that's yeah. that's what I watch. I watched him, and he just took so much heat from the fans and from the press, and it was mostly because of that huge contract. And eventually, you know, he had some down years, but eventually he regained some value, and the Cubs managed to trade him. They paid it, paid you know off the pretty much all that contract off but they still got a decent prospect in return uh and you know a year before that trade happened it it seemed unimaginable so i always there's always a chance i feel like with these guys that have the talent if something clicks and they just have a nice three months a team a team may may be willing to give up that prospect even you know a lower level power arm if whatever it is just some depth for the for your uh, system, someone that can help out someday. Uh, that, that I think that would be a win with guys like Upton. So uh, we'll, no, I guess we'll see what no happens doubt. there. Uh, yeah. Before I let you go, I'm asking everyone, uh, as a writer, as as someone that's covering the team every day, uh, what and this isn't what's the most important thing for the season. It may turn out maybe that maybe that's what it is. But what are you most interested in? What storyline or upcoming event, whatever it may be, what are you excited about? Uh, looking forward to covering for uh, the 2015 Braves. Well, you know, I think it's just uh, you know to kind of tie everything together. It's just I'm I'm looking forward to see how this this group meshes together. This is a a group where you've already got Freddie Freeman. Uh, Simmons, uh, Tehran, um, you know, so some of the pieces there that are there are going to be there for a long time. Where, uh, and you're going to keep your eye on Jose Peraza. When does he get to Atlanta? Uh, you're going to hear his name a lot in spring training. You know, here's a guy who, who I at some point this year he's going to be the leadoff hitter or the starting second baseman. You're going to have your eye on him even if he starts the year. Cornet, the Cornet pitching staff is going to be. 
great when I mentioned guys like Ben Lelos and, and Terrell Jenkins. Uh, I don't know if both of them will be there. Maybe Jenkins starts off a double A. Uh, it's going to be interesting to watch those guys. It's going to be interesting just to see how this club at the major league level performs. Maybe the culture change uh, that, that A.J. Brzezinski, Johnny Gomes, uh, and some of the other players, Jason to really, uh, guys that have been around to kind of know, uh, kind of kind of give Freddie Freeman that torch that he he can pass on. Freddie, you know, had a chance to play a little bit with Chipper. Uh, so he, he has a little bit of a taste of the past, but, but here's the guy that's going to set the foundation for the future. Um, I, I'm just kind of interested to see, you know, even if this team is, it doesn't make, you know, is, has a losing season, never wants specs and all that kind of stuff. It, it's going to set the foundation for how 16 and 17 go. So uh, I'm looking to see how they come together here early in the season as the summer, and as the summer progresses. Mark, thanks so much for your time. Before you go, why don't you let the listeners know uh, where they can find you on social media, Twitter, whatever else you're on, and uh, where they can read your work. All right. Yeah, you know, obviously uh, anything uh, I write for MLB.com. Most of my work you'll see either there or Braves.com. And uh, on Twitter, please uh, shoot me a message anytime at, at MLB Bowman, B-O-W-M-A-N. That's Mark Bowman, beat writer for the Braves on MLB.com. Mark, thanks so much for your time. Take care. All right. Thank you. Take care. All right. That's it for today. Please send us some emails for this week's listener email show at podcast at baseballperspectus.com. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash effectively wild. You can rate, review, and subscribe to the show on iTunes. And you can support our sponsor by going to baseballreference.com. Subscribing to the Play Index using the coupon code BP and getting the discounted price of $30 on a one-year subscription. We'll be back with another team preview podcast tomorrow.